You're listening to Clarification on Springfield's Talk 1041. Hey everybody, it's Clarification. Welcome to another beautiful weekend in the Ozarks. I am your host, James Clary, with a stranger at the board. I've got Hugh's not a stranger, he's my buddy. Houston's at the board today. And as our continuing series of the esoteric, the paranormal, the weird, the wacky, the strange, and the unusual, this is our last show in this vein, and we're going to get back to a little bit more regular things, current events, history, those type of things that we normally do uh, beginning next week. But this week, we're going to talk about a subject that, that I really love, I it and it has to do with... Mental capabilities beyond the regular senses, otherwise known as extrasensory perception or ESP. And people that I've talked to about this, oh, you know what? I mean, yeah, you may get a feeling or something, but it's it's not. It's not real. There's no proof that ESP or extra mental abilities are real. You know, like Kreskin, all those people have been shown to be fakes. Well, actually, that's not true. And I personally have developed a little test. And I'm going to ask Houston, but then I'm also at the same time, I'm going to ask all of you listeners. And you can text your reply to our text line, and we'll get it later. But I would love to hear your answers. And here is the question. Have you ever thought of somebody, just a random acquaintance, come into your mind, and then within a short period of time, you either see them or they call you on the phone? Houston? Yeah, actually, I have okay. had that happen before. <laughs> and I usually write it off as a coincidence. Right. You know? <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get into that a little bit. You write it off as a coincidence. Let's just give me a uh, just a ballpark. How many people would you call an acquaintance? 300? 1,000? I would probably say, oh, that's a, that's a tough tough question i would probably i would probably say 100 150 okay. people okay 100 let's just call it 100 so there was a one in 100 chance mm-hmm. that you thought of the person and then ran into them or they called you one in 100 which is really only one percent chance those odds really are pretty great on the side of it being something other than a coincidence now take it a step further I've asked at least 500 people this question. Not one has ever answered no. And I promise you, when our listeners reply on the text line, what is that number? 417-447-5743. When they reply, we will not get one person say, no, that's never happened to me. So when you multiply the 1 in 100 chance times the thousands and then take it to millions, if you did a survey, I bet it would be 1 in a billion people that said no. There's literally statistically no chance that it's a coincidence. And using Occam's razor, if we want to be scientific about it, and using Occam's razor and statistics, statistically it says this is not coincidence pretty wild huh yeah that's crazy i know right <laughs> now you got me thinking yeah, <laughs> i know well you know it, it's just one of those things because it happened to me a couple times i mean i'll never forget 
It's happened to me many times, but a couple times really stand out. One time, as as you know and our listeners know, I owned restaurants for years. And I was driving to work to one of my restaurants, and a waiter came into my head. Now, I hadn't seen this guy in four years. And, I mean, over the course of my career here in Springfield owning restaurants, I probably knew 150 servers. And when you add my time in Tulsa, my five years managing two restaurants, I probably knew 250 to 400 different people who were professionals in the restaurant industry that I had contact with. So I think of this one person. I pulled this was I, I was a half mile away from the restaurant. I think of this guy comes out of my mind. I thought, huh, wonder what he's doing. His name was Grant. Wonder what Grant's doing. I pull into work. He's standing outside the back door. And I mean, it blew me away. It sent shivers up my spine i'm like whoa and it happened again i was in a grocery store and thought of a friend uh, um, a guy i know david hake he's a well-known uh insurance guy here in town and i i thought i wonder how david's doing and i see him getting pulling i see a car pulling the parking i wasn't even looking at and i just glance over there and it's him getting out of his car i mean it's just strange and everybody has had those experiences so what is that that is some type of esp it's some it's also what we're and we're going to talk about it's called precognition the human mind's ability to see into the future and you might think that is a bunch of hooey but today's show is all about proving to you through science that it's not it's not hooey at all it's actually proven science and this goes back to 1930 and there was a uh, psychologist named jb rine now rine developed a system he was a psychologist but he was very interested he was you know read a lot of religious doctrine and he wondered if there was any way to measure metaphysical things like esp so he and and several others came up with uh using this deck of cards called zinner cards and you may have seen them in the ghostbusters film i think there's a scene maybe at the first where bill murray is going trying to guess it the zinner cards are a deck of cards that has five different images there's a square squiggly lines a triangle and i can't even remember something else so there's these five uh, oh and a cross and so he this Rhine did these tests with people. So there's a deck of these cards and there's a person with the cards on the other side of a screen. The subject cannot see the cards. They're asked to guess which card is going to be is turned over. So the the psychologist turns over one of the cards and it's either the cross, the circle, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The subject has to guess. Now, there's five different symbols. So, with some basic math, one in five, that's a 20% chance. By chance, they should get it right 20% of the time. It's just like if you flip a coin. If you flip a coin 10 times, you might get seven heads. 
and three tails. But if you flip that same coin 10,000 times, you're going to be at a 50%. It's going to be 50% heads, 50% tails. These are the laws of pro- probabilities. There's one called the law of big numbers. The bigger the number, the more times you repeat any kind of experiment like that, the more the law of averages says it comes closer to that average. So, Ryan tested subjects and he found that certain subjects scored higher than 20%. Some would score high as 24, then 26, 28. He had one that scored near 30%. Now, that may not seem statistically significant, but when he repeated these experiments, and Ryan did these over 100,000 times, these same people scored significantly higher, like 28%. In science, that's called a statistical probability, and it could almost be called a certainty. I mean, you may not know this, but you've probably heard that taking an aspirin can reduce your chance of a heart attack. But the actuality is that it gives you like a 0.01 better chance of not having a heart attack. So in science, small statistical anomalies are considered really important, and for a guy to score eight points higher 28 percent when it should be 20 percent is huge it's not just huge it basically proves that there's something else going on this extra sensory somehow that person's mind was able to see the shape in their head that gave them the right answer 10% more of the time than the average person. We're going to talk a little bit more about Ryan, but wait till you hear about Daryl Bim and his studies. It's crazy. It's clarification. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary, and we're wrapping up the Halloween season. We're talking about extrasensory perception in all of its forms. And ESP, most people think ESP, oh, you're a mind reader. No, there's there's just all kinds of different aspects of this. And my contention and the contention of the scientists that I'm discussing today is that it is a proven reality. We were talking about J.B. Rhyme, who's really the father of parapsychology. By the way, I might mention that he was a professor at Duke. It wasn't like he was at some outlier university. He was at Duke University. He started the whole field of parapsychology. Now, mainstream science today writes this whole field off, which is really frustrating. You know, not all scientists, but most of them just say, oh, it's woo-woo. Of course, they never discuss the data. Today, we're discussing this data. So this Ryan, his his most famous series of experiments were the uh, ESP test involving uh, a guy named Hubert Pierce and and Ryan's research assistant, J.G. Pratt. So it consisted a series of four sets of tests. Pierce was tested with Zinner cards by Pratt, who shuffled and recorded the order of the cards in the lab, which was 250 yards from where Pierce was sitting in the campus library. 
So the one guy had to guess the order of the cards, and it turned out, and remember, there's five cards. Uh, so he, he turns out Pierce's overall accuracy in guessing the order of the unseen cards was 30% compared to the 20% expected by chance. So in 1934, Ryan published the results of his research in the first edition of a book titled Extra Sensory Perception. So Ryan is the one that coined that phrase. And it's he really was the father of modern science in parapsychology and study of anything that is outside of materialistic science. Now, materialists, guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson, will dismiss these studies, even though rigorous, rigorous scientific method was used in these studies. That's what's so frustrating to me about it. I could do a whole show. Look, we saw it with COVID, guys. Did we not? Did we not see mainstream science ignore the evidence that there were certain over-the-counter or prescription medications that dealt very effectively with COVID? For instance, zinc, vitamin D, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine? Mainstream science is not as trusted as they once were. I had the good fortune to fill in for Nick Reed, who I'm sure you all know who Nick is and his show. And this was uh, probably five years ago, and I had the good fortune to interview a gentleman named Rupert Sheldrake. Now, Rupert Sheldrake is a doctor of biology. He got his degrees from Cambridge, so he's no slouch. He's written multiple books. It took me a long time to get him to agree to this interview, but it was really cool. So Sheldrake, Sheldrake's wondered about these types of, of Things He had read all of Ryan's work. He had ran, read the work of a guy named Horton, which we'll get into in a minute, and the Gansfield experiments. <clears throat> but Sheldrake wondered if animals had some type of extrasensory perception. I know you, many of you have pets. Have you ever noticed? I remember I had a cat that literally... I swore that as soon as I thought about feeding the cat, that it would get up and start meowing before I'd even moved. Just the thought. So Sheldrake wondered. He had a friend who swore that his dog would know when he's coming home because every time he came home, the dog was standing at the door waiting. So the gentleman assumed, well, my dog knew I was coming home. Well, it could have been any number of things, though. It could have been that the dog heard the certain engine noise of his car. It could have been that the dog heard the car door close or any number of things. The, the gentleman's walk could have been any of the things. So Sheldrake, Dr. Sheldrake decided to test this. So he, he sent out notices to many people and he got hundreds of replies of people that swore. I think he said he had over 1,200 people that said their dogs knew and 600 that their cats knew when they were coming home. So he selected uh, a few of these people. He put a time-lapse camera in the home and then he now it's really important that 
when you're doing a scientific test that you allow for all the variables, like it said, it, the dog dogs do have a sense of time. So it could be just that a dog knows that you get home at 530 every day at 528. The dog's going to get up and go to the door because it's the usual time you come home. So to, to take care of that variable in Sheldrake's experiment, he had a computer randomly call the subject and say okay now it's time for you to go home so the person might oh and the and then the second thing to take out the variable of the dog listening to the car noise he had them take a different mode of transportation so if they normally drove home they didn't drive their car. They had a taxi drop them off or they they drove a bicycle or they took the subway. It was a completely different mode of transportation. It was a different time. So those two variables could be discarded as the reason the dog got up. So here's the fascinating thing about this experiment. When the computer called the test subject at work and said, okay, it's time to go home. The instant the person had the thought, I'm going to go home on the time-lapse camera, the instant they had the thought, that's the critical term, the thought, the dog got up from its bed and walked to the door to wait for its owner. To me, and this was repeated hundreds of times. Other people have replicated this study. I mean, to me, that's incredibly fascinating. It, it, it's beyond fascinating. It shows that animals have some sense that is beyond their regular senses it's not smell it's not sight it's not taste it's not touch now we are animals humans are animals now sheldrake came up with a theory and he called it morphic resonance and basically and, and i'm not sure i totally agree with this theory. i have my own theory i even asked him about it and, and i still think that quantum mechanics has something to do with it but but Sheldrake's theory is that we all have an energy to us and that that energy is projected beyond our body. One of his other experiments he did was, do people know when they're being stared at? And this, this really ties into his morphic resonance theory. So we've all had that experience where we felt, I'm going to ask you here, have you ever had that experience where you felt like someone was looking at you? Oh, yeah, of And course. you turned around and yes. they were. Yeah, right? or you're looking for the, the pair of eyes on you and yes. you find it and you're like, oh, God. Ooh. <laughs> all right, so Sheldrake set it up in a lab. He had a person sit in his chair, in a chair with their back to a wall with a door. And... They would uh, ask the subject, okay, are you being stared at or not? And it was random times where a stranger would look through the little the window and stare at the test subject. And he found, again, just like uh, J.B. Ryan's experiments, that certain people, it, would be, it should be 50-50, right? They guessed, right? Either they are being stared at or they're not. So statistically, it should be, he found people that got it right as high as 70% of the time. So Sheldrake's theory, this morphic resonance, that the act of 
being stared at or observed, and that's a very important word, the act of being observed is somehow felt by the other person. Now, isn't that strange? But, but it's not strange if you read anything about quantum physics and quantum mechanics. As you probably know, theoretical physics... Cosmology is a study of large objects. Quantum mechanics is the study of the smallest of the small. There, it's really the study of what are called subatomic particles. And all that means is particles that are smaller than an atom. Although atoms behave in this way as well. But some subatomic particles like electrons, uh, leptons, quarks, there's all these subatomic particles. And scientists, photons is the smallest, quant, they're called quanta, these little, little packets. Photons are the smallest quanta of light. They break light down into these little quanta. And they've noticed some very strange things about these little particles. One of them is called the observer effect. So the famous double slit experiment where they fire single pro photons through a slit onto a screen that records their position. To break it down simply is that when the when the machine is firing the photons through the slit at the, the screen, it forms what is called an interference pattern. In other words, it looks like it acts like a wave, not a single particle. It acts like a wave. The instant the scientist goes in the room to watch it, it acts like a particle. Science cannot explain this. Quantum particles know when they're being observed. Let that sink in. What are we made of? Trillions and trillions of quantum particles. It's clarification. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's clarification. I, lo I love the music from Stranger Things because... I was just talking to Houston on the break about how that show, Stranger Things, has some basis in, real, in reality, according to eyewitnesses, and it has very much to do with the topic we're talking about today. We're talking about Psy Powers, ESP. You know, one of the most controversial and extraordinary scientific studies that have come out in the last 20, 30 years was the 2011 paper by American psychologist Daryl Bim. Daryl Bim proved an explosive notion that precognition, which is the ability to see future events, is actually real. Now, <laughs> his paper was published in Psychology Today, which is the foremost... Uh, piece of scientific literature the psychologists use, and it set off a firestorm. I remember when this came out, because I'm interested in these types of things. Obviously, I wouldn't be doing this show, but, you know, parapsychology, 
uh, anything in the, the weird, the esoteric I'm interested in. So Bim was a Cornell University professor. And, it, it, you know, mainstream science was it. How is it possible that this smart, intelligent, obviously uh, science minded professor come up with the idea that he could prove precognition? And once again, precognition just means being able to see events in the future. So the paper was called Feeling the Future, Experimental Evidence for Anomalous Retroactive Influences on Cognition and Effect, which is a bunch of scientific gobbledygook. But it reported on nine experiences, excuse me, nine experiments and involved over a thousand people with eight of them successfully showing that a person's responses could be influenced by stimulating events that happened after the responses were already made and recorded. Now, I'm going to try and explain this to this first experiment as simply as I can, because I had a hard time understanding it. But the experiment went like this. The participant was given a list of words, say 10 words, and they were given a set amount of time to try and memorize those words. Then the the list was taken away and they were asked to write down as many of the words as they could recall. So, you know, people scored so-and-so. Then... Okay, he took another set, or he did the same people, the same people, but he did another experiment. This time, he had them look at the words, and he had them write down the number that they remembered in the same time period. Then he gave them the words, again, the same words, and he asked them to write it down. When he compared the test scores of the first trial versus the second trial, the people who were given the list after the test scored much higher on the test. Now, it's kind of, to me, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Because this actually suggests that a future act, the act of being given the words after you've taken the test, actually affects an event that was in the past. Physics has shown us, Einstein showed us, time is not linear. We think we live in this linear set of time that's going from you know, the past to the present to the future, but it's not. I mean, it's been shown that time is not constant, that even astronauts traveling in orbit around the Earth, that time, now it's very, very insignificant, the amount of time, but it does slow down for them. Einstein's theory of relativity proved that the closer you get to the speed of light, the more time slows down. And that when you reach the speed of light, you know what happens? Time stops. 
Now think about that for a minute. So if you're a photon, the smallest quanta, smallest particle of light, and you're traveling from the sun to the earth, and you you are human, some, somehow able to straddle that pro, po, photon and ride it to earth from the sun, you'd be on it for an infinite amount of time because time would stop. I know these concepts can be kind of hard to grasp, but BIM's study proves precognition. And actually, one of the uh, other studies he did, I think, is a little easier to understand. So he had participants sit in front of a set of two curtains and or actually, I'm sorry, just in front of a, a curtain. When the curtain was drawn, there was an image on a screen. Now, the image, I think in his first case, it was pornographic. It was one of two things. It was either pornographic or if it was, it was just an image of, like, nature. There was another one he did. Instead of uh, showing pornographic things, he showed violent scenes. And it really doesn't matter. But these subjects were hooked up to uh, skin temperature meters, EKGs, EEGs that measured their blood pressure, their heart rate. And when they were shown, let's just say, the violent image, obviously their blood pressure went up. Their heart rate went up. When they were shown the nature image, there were no changes in their physiology. If anything, it might have gone down a little bit. But what Bim was able to prove was that before the image flashed on the screen, their body reacted to the appropriate image. If it was the violent image... That was coming up on the screen. Their blood pressure, heart rate increased before the image actually appeared on the screen. Now, this one just blew me away. I first remember reading about this probably, uh, I guess it was, well, it was probably 13 years ago because he published his papers in 2011. But, you know, it was probably 10 years ago when I first read about it. And I mean, it may not sound significant, but it really is significant. Think about it. Human minds have the ability to predict the future. I mean, it may explain a lot. You know, how, how about people like in war, how soldiers just ducked and just a bullet just grazed over their head or they just jumped into the street to save a child. We all think, wow, just lucky. His timing was perfect. What if something in our physiology and you and I'm not saying this is woo woo. I'm suggesting there's scientific rationale for this, that it's an evolutionary advantage to have these mental abilities. You could survive. The ancient hominids a million years ago, Australopithecus on the African savanna was more likely to survive if they had these mental abilities, if they could feel or somehow sense the cheetah attack was coming. So it's an advantage. When we come back, I'm going to tell you some crazy stories involving ESP. It's clarification. I'm James Clary. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clarification. I'm your host, James Clare. We're talking about ESP, extrasensory perception. We're talking about precognition. Can the human mind 
see beyond somehow, see beyond sight, smell, touch, and taste, and feel. Yes, we can, and science has proved it. We've already talked about a couple of the most notable experiences, but, you know, let's talk about more anecdotal instances. I want to read you an article that was in the L.A. Times because as I was getting ready for the show, I don't do a ton of preparation for these shows because I usually I tackle subjects that I have some knowledge about. And I remembered a story about a woman who claimed to have found the body of a murder victim through psychic visions. And this woman wasn't a psychic, she's a normal woman. So let me, this was the article that I pulled up in the, L, this was in the LA Times, and it says, a Burbank woman whose, quotation, psychic vision, end quote, led detectives to the body of a murder victim was wrongly arrested, a judge ruled Thursday, saying that the Los Angeles police lacked sufficient evidence to tie her to the killing. A Van Nuys Superior Court jury will decide today the amount of the damages to the woman, Etta Louise Smith, should be paid by the city for a four-day stint in jail that she likened to being a caged animal. Smith, 39, sued the police department, alleging that detectives lacked reasonable grounds to arrest her in 1980 for the murder after her vision led her to the body of a missing Selmar nurse. So, and I remember reading about the story. I didn't know that she had sued the police and won the suit. But the way she described it is, this is a California woman. She's driving down the road, and she had this vision in her head. She, no, she had heard on the news about a nurse that was missing, and apparently they suspected or feared that there was foul play involved. So she had heard the news story. She's driving along and she gets some kind of vision in her head that's saying, I'm here, I need help. And she really didn't know what was going on, but she turned her car off the highway. She went down a dirt road and she kept getting directions. She went quite a ways off the highway and eventually she walked up and she found the murder victim's body, which is just crazy. So what does she do? She calls the police. Well, what do the police think? I said, well, how did you find her? Well, I was driving down the highway and a psychic vision told me to turn off the highway and take these four turns and walk up this hill and into this little grass and find the body. They're like this woman's wacko. So what they do? They arrested her. <clears throat> so let me finish with the article says, it says, two days after the nurse's highly publicized disappearance, Smith reported to police that she envisioned the woman's body dumped in a rural area above Lakeview Terrace. Testimony in the seven-day trial revealed within 45 minutes after relating her vision to detectives, Smith, accompanied by her two children, niece, found the body and led police to the location in Lopez Canyon. So, 
doubting her story, detectives questioned her for 10 hours before arresting her on suspicion of murdering, murdering the nurse. Her, the nurse's name was Melanie Uribe. Uh, Smith was a Pacoma resident, was released four days later and never charged. Three men with no known connection to Smith eventually were convicted of the murder and serving sentences up to life in state prison. So her attorney argued that the police never really believed Smith was involved in the beating death. Yeah, and that's kind of important. The, The nurse was beat to death, beaten to death. But suspect she might have learned of the body's location through other means than a psychic if, uh, vision. Detectives surmise that a weekend in jail might scare Smith into divulging the true source. So uh, her, her attorney said, finding a body is not a crime. Having a vision is not a crime. Having information about the murder itself is not a crime. Having information about the murder and not giving it to police is not a crime. It just isn't there. So, I mean, that is just one of numerous, numerous stories. But the reason I brought that one up, because it got so much press. I know, I think Unsolved Mysteries did a segment on it, and they interviewed the the woman who was arrested Uh, it's look the evidence is overwhelming i wouldn't i would say the question is not whether or not psi and sometimes this whole field is called psi short for psychic psi spelled psi the question is not whether psi abilities exist but rather why has mainstream science tended to ignore it. And I, I, my guess is that mainstream science ignores Psy because it puts materialism on its head. It could prove, not prove, but it, it gives more credibility to all things metaphysical. Things like uh, trances of meditation and religious things. Things like angels and miracles. Look, I would say it's pretty much a miracle that some woman driving down a California highway is led to the body of a murdered nurse. I mean, if that's not miraculous, I don't know what is. You know, one of the coolest things, I think, in this... uh, whole field is the study of random number generators. And you might ask, what is a random number generator? So a random number generator is just what it sounds. It's a it's a computer like device that generates random numbers and they could set it to let's say numbers between one and a hundred so it would just randomly pick 39 78 11 7 22 48 on and on so there's a group called the global consciousness project also gcp for short it's also called the egg project and What they've done is they set up 
a parapsychology experiment. It began in 1998 in an attempt to detect possible interactions of global consciousness. So we're going from the individual, like the woman in California, or the individual dogs who knew their owners were coming home, or the people that... uh, knew that they were being stared at, to is there a global consciousness? Are we all connected in some way that affects things, that affects each other, that affects other things? So what this group did, the Global Consciousness Project, and you can actually go to their uh, website, by the way. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull it up. It's, It's really really a cool site because you can look in real time what they're doing and they set up random number generator generators all over the world and then they monitor them and so what you expect it's kind of like the uh, the card thing we talked about before there's five different shapes that you would expect these numbers to to remain random so they they collect this data and what they found is that when events that are of a global nature occur that the random random number generators are affected that there's a significant spike in the data and you can look they graph these random numbers as they're being generated. And you see there's just little fluctuations that goes along. And then you look at a particular date and or time, and you'll see a huge spike where the numbers went from random to some other other scheme where they're not random at all. So what their, their hypothesis is that there is a global consciousness some of the uh some of the events most notable in their research were the death of princess diana when that happened there was a huge spike and and obviously one of one of the more seminal events in the last 50 years was 9-11 now here's what's interesting about 9-11 and some of these other events as they're watching the random number generator graph going along, no major flux fluctuations, it spiked before the first plane hit the tower on 9-11. Just as in the experiments that showed the violent images or the nature images where the human mind was able through precognition to see into the future, somehow global consciousness knew an attack was coming that would have worldwide ramifications. Now, the latest reports on global consciousness, George Floyd and the BLM. The outrage protest over George Floyd's murder continued. I'm looking at a, you can look it up on global consciousness. It's actually global slash, not slash, what is that, hyphen, global hyphen mind dot org. And you see 
that when the when Derek Chauvin, the videos of him kneeling on George Floyd's neck, the random number generators went crazy. When the first reports came out of the coronavirus crisis, same thing. The election in 2020, random number generators went nuts. The Capitol insurrection, J6, the Chauvin verdict. So go to the global cut. There is some type of consciousness, and we're almost out of time, but I wanted to mention one thing. Quantum entanglement. We talked about the observer effect. The other thing scientists know is that when two particles come together, they become entangled and they have an effect on each other, even if they're on the other side of the galaxy. And that literally could be what we're witnessing here. We're back to regular stuff next week. It's Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. See you then.